In our services recently, we've been into a series about our God, thinking about this God who we serve, thinking about the reason we exist as a church and the reason that many of us lead our lives the way that we do. And we're grateful to David and Paul and Chris who've opened up some of the passages about our God, uh, particularly about that threefold nature that we call the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so far we've spent uh, a couple of weeks thinking about the nature of God the Father. And the Trinity, it's not an easy concept to get our heads around, is it? Three persons, one God. And as we continue to look at what the Bible has to say about the nature of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one thing really comes across is that it's a perfect relationship. A perfect relationship between those three people of the Trinity. There's absolutely no conflict between them. It's complete unity. And, and Chris brought that home to us last week when he was talking about Jesus always wanting to do the will of the Father. A demonstration of what unity is. And the desire of God is that his church should have that unity of purpose as well. And so today we're going to move on. We're going to think more about God the Son, about Jesus Christ. And I'm excited that we're thinking about Jesus. And uh, behind me, you can see a reminder of what we're about, the purpose of our church here. Conoscendo Jesus, Hacendo Jesus, Conoscendo. Did I get that right, Paolo? I'm not sure. Knowing Jesus, making Jesus known. So Jesus is and should be at the heart of all that we do here at NCBC. But there are two active parts. And the first part feeds into the second part. In order to make Jesus known, we need to know Jesus first. And that might include some theology so that we're clear in our minds about who Jesus is. And it also includes a knowledge through a relationship with Jesus, through him being part of our daily lives and him living in us. And you may remember that when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he asked a question, who do you say I am? And it's a question that each of us needs to answer at some point in our lives. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in the passage we're going to read in a few moments, the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, gives his view about who Jesus is. So we're going to take as our scripture reading some verses from the letter Paul wrote to Colossians. It was written around about 60 AD to the church at Colossae. So it would be around about 30 years after Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And the Apostle Paul, the writer of the letter, he never went to Colossae itself, as far as we're aware. The church was actually started by someone called Epaphras, who Paul probably led to Christ in Ephesus, which was about 100 miles away from Colossae. But Paul felt 
some responsibility for that church in Colossae. And there were some things concerning him that led him to write this letter. The first was that the message of Jesus was being watered down. What people at first believed was being challenged. Maybe it was challenged by those who'd not converted from Judaism, or maybe by worshippers of other gods, or or travellers that came through. The divinity of Jesus was being questioned. Maybe he was just another good man, but not really God. And the members of the church at Colossae were beginning to waver somewhat. And secondly, some people were purporting that there was a secret knowledge, only available to a select few, a kind of ascetism, advanced teaching for the spiritual elite. So in his letter to Colossae, Paul seeks to address these concerns as he writes about the supremacy of Christ. And we're going to read these verses from Colossians chapter 1, the supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this amazing passage of Scripture. And Lord, as we examine it this morning, as we look at it, we ask that you will open our hearts and minds to understand more about the person of Jesus. To understand more of how much he loves us. To understand more about how he is above all things. So Father, I ask that you would speak this morning through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Yes, what an amazing passage that is. And straight away, straight away it leaves the readers in no doubt that Jesus is God. The image of the invisible God. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. If we want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at the life he had here on earth. Look at the way he interacted with people. Look at how Jesus felt about the poor. Look at how he treated outcasts and sinners. Look at how he dealt with sickness and sorrow. How did he teach us to respond to others and even how to respond to our enemies? 
In Luke 4, we read these words of Jesus speaking from the prophets. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is what Jesus was saying about himself. Another example of God the Father and Jesus working in unity. And whilst nobody has seen God the Father, we have this picture of Jesus, of his life, his priorities revealed through scriptures. Revealing also the heart of God. He is the image of the invisible God. And this would have answered some of those in Colossae at the time who were beginning to put around that Jesus was just another man, a teacher, a prophet. And perhaps there are many people today who would follow that line. There's not many people that doubt the existence of the historical Jesus. There's much evidence to back that up. But to suggest that he's God? Paul wants to start this passage by leaving people in no doubt. Another passage in John 14 when Jesus himself cements this. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And in the passage in uh, Colossians 1.19, Paul also says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And the verse also tells us that he was the firstborn over all creation. As often happens when texts are translated from the original into English, the English word doesn't always give full credence to the meaning that uh, that it was originally meant. In our culture, the firstborn would be just that, the first person to be born in the family. You may well be the firstborn in your family, or you may have an older sibling who fulfills that role. But what the text here is conveying is not that Jesus was born in existence in a physical way, but the, that he has all the rights and privileges of the firstborn. He is the heir of the sovereign. He is the preeminent one, the supreme being. He's always been in existence and is at the forefront of everything. Already in just that first verse that we read, there's so much to unpack about Jesus. And moving on to verse 16, for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. In him, all things were created. Jesus is just not just part of the story of the world we live in. He is the story of the world we live in. God did nothing creation-related apart from Jesus. Jesus was the agent for all of creation. He was there at the beginning. He's there now. He will be there at the end and for eternity. And for many people, the impact of Jesus on the world is limited to just 33 years in the middle of history when he walked on the earth, when he taught, when he healed when he was crucified. And some will admit that he was a good man with good teaching. For many Christians, that extends as well to the reason for Jesus' death, for the forgiveness of sins and the opportunity to go to heaven when we die because of Jesus' resurrection. Of course, there's nothing wrong with those beliefs. They're true and they're very important in our lives. But this verse takes us on to a whole new level in our assessment of who Jesus is and his part in the history of the world. And you can imagine the Colossians beginning to challenge their notion of who Jesus was and maybe their discipleship beginning to fray at the edges a bit. And Paul comes in with this verse, all things were created in him. What do you mean, all things? Everything we can see? Yes, everything. Not just the things you can see, but things in heaven, things invisible too. Well, if we're counting visible things and invisible things, there's not much left to count. But what about those thrones and powers? You know, the Romans, the governors, the tyrants. Yes, everything, everything. But those who make the laws and and charge extortionate taxes and and put us in prison if we don't obey. Yes, they're all subject to Jesus. What about those who influence our culture, decide the fashion, the things we spend our time on? Yes, too, they're all influenced by Jesus. And the Colossians have perhaps began to think that Jesus had authority over their spiritual lives, but were looking for exceptions to the rule. People, systems, forces that they needed to get on the right side of in order to survive in their society. They needed to hedge their bets a bit. Surely these things were nothing to do with Jesus. I wonder where we stand today. These verses tell us a lot about Jesus, but they also tell us about our purpose in life. Because the verse doesn't just tell us that all things were created through him, but that things were created for him as well. What does that mean, in essence? It means that everything is designed to serve his purposes. Does Jesus exist to help me do what I'm trying to do in my life? Is he there just to support me, to back me up in the decisions that I make 
and to call on just when I need some support? Is it me that's at the center of the story and everything revolves around my needs? Oh yes, of course, I'll, I'll go along to church on a Sunday to worship for an hour, but life's busy and I'll try to squeeze time in between things. If that's the Jesus that we know, then there may be the Jesus we try to make known. It's just a shadow of the real Jesus that the Bible speaks of. Doesn't that reflect perhaps where we are as a nation? People might say, if, if, if God exists, if Jesus is meant to be so loving, where is he when things are not how we want them to be? We can only assume that he doesn't exist, or if he does, he's not really interested. But if everything is designed to serve his purposes, to reflect glory back to him. We read that verse at the beginning of the service. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. If we become worshippers of God and seek to bring him glory, it puts a whole new perspective on how we live our lives and the purpose of life. It's the reason for our existence. But you might say, isn't that just arrogant of God to demand this worship? To be such a jealous God, completely into himself, not the sort of God I want to get to know. But if we look at his character, his preeminence, his love, we can see the reasons behind it. God wants the best for us. God wants the best for his creation. And Jesus is the best there is. And if the best out there is available, why settle for something less than the best? If your motivations in life are maybe to make as much money as possible, and that's where you spend your time and energy, then then so be it. But there will be other areas of life that will suffer. And there'll never be enough. Never reach that goal that you want to reach. If your motivation maybe is to be the best at whatever it is that you might do, what you spend your time and energy doing is to become the best but there will be others, other areas of life that will suffer and usually others that are better than you. And we could go on talking about the main objectives of life and the things that people are drawn to, but the person who created us, the person with the blueprint for how we work, the person in whose image we are created has made us creatures of worship to reflect glory Back to him. Psalm 37 has these words. Take delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord. Worship him. And he will give you the desires of your heart. And when our focus is on worshiping worshiping him, that's when we become most satisfied. And it may be that he 
He blesses us with material things or makes us the best at whatever it is that we do, the giftings that he's given us. But he will give us the desires of our hearts. And it's where we find our identity, not in striving our own strength, but in in the desire to be in tune with Jesus, who is before all things and through whom all things hold together. And if we're not sure about the character of God, verse 18 reminds us of the lengths he goes to be the best, to be supreme, to show the greatest love that ever there could be. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. What God, having created everything once, would want to become like one of the created beings and suffer as much as anyone could to be hung on a cross so there can be a new creation, a new creation, a recreation. That's Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. You are perfect in all of your ways, we sing. Love that's indescribable. Ian's going to speak to us next week more about that side of Jesus and his sacrifice to us. And we'll celebrate that as we share bread and wine together next week. But that's why we're called to reflect glory back to him. He's perfect. He has the supremacy. This is the Jesus that we can have a daily relationship with and the Jesus that we want to make known to others. So the lens that we can look at everything through can be the lens of Jesus, who is in creation, is before all things, and holds things together. We could look at life through the lens of our own desires and feel that something falls short. Maybe it's failures, inadequacies, feeling that we've let others down, the feeling that we've let ourselves down. We could look at life through the lens of some of the things that we suffer and feel life is really hard and we feel let down by others. We could look at life through the lens of a fallen world where sin distorts the picture and all the consequences crowd in and sometimes overwhelm us. If our desires are in sync with the lens of Jesus, where he is at the centre of our choices, our decisions, and we choose to worship him, to give him glory, our lives will be some way towards the purpose for which we were created. Romans chapter 8 gives us three verses within that chapter that, that speak into these situations. The lens of our own desires Successes will let us down at some point. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you desires of your heart. And Paul says in Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter that we've let him down in the past. If we confess those sins and allow Jesus to take them away, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.
when Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, he was chained up in prison in Rome, awaiting the possibility of execution. And through his sufferings, he was looking through the lens of Jesus as he wanted to encourage the believers at Colossae and bring them a message from God. And in Romans 8, Paul says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We might be going through tough times. We may not understand why that's happening. But we can look to the God who works for the good of those who love him in all things. And if we look through the lens of a fallen world, things might seem hopeless and beyond repair. But when we look at a fallen world through the lens of Jesus, we will see love beyond measure. A desire for that new creation and the power and death-defying power to hold all things together and reconcile everything to himself. Romans 8 tells us that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And when we look through that lens of Jesus, our hearts will be ready to make Jesus known to this world in which we live. I'm just going to invite our musicians to come back as we pray together and just spend a few moments pondering what Jesus can mean to us in our lives. So, Father, we, we do thank you for that you have revealed yourself in the scriptures. You have revealed yourself through Jesus. Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for the great love demonstrated in, in Jesus coming to earth. And we know that you've created us to reflect that glory back to Jesus. <clears throat> So this morning, we just ask that you would work in our hearts. Give us that desire to look to Jesus. That he should be the lens through which we look at this world around us. The lens that we look at ourselves through. The lens that we look at others through. Jesus, come and be the center of our lives. Musicians will just play that song, Jesus, be the center. As we just spend a few moments listening to God, allowing his spirit to come and speak to us about Jesus. That's part of the role of the Holy Spirit, to come and lift Jesus up. He can be the center of all that we do.
it continues playing. There may be people here this morning that just look at, looked at things through that, those other lenses where perhaps they feel that they've let themselves down, let others down. Perhaps there's suffering going on that it's really too much to bear at the moment. Perhaps we just see this world around us and see the hopelessness and we don't know where to turn on it. Just encourage us this morning to allow Jesus to change that view. We're called to renew our minds, to, to look at Jesus in a fresh way. Maybe this morning that we can start to do that. Amen. And as we close our time, we're going to lift up the name of Jesus. Again, as we sing, what a beautiful name. What a powerful name. What a wonderful name Jesus is. You were the word at the beginning. One with
Father, we thank you for being here with us this morning. And we pray that the words of Scripture that have been spoken will reach into us, change when necessary. And as we go out this week, we pray that you'll be with us. Give us peace, comfort, that knowledge that you are there with us. In Jesus' name.